Let's get to know the newest Pacers by talking to those who've covered them before. The latest on Bruce Brown from Ryan Blackburn from Mile High Sports and the latest on Obi Toppin from Alex Wolf of Locked On Knicks and more on the Pacers' new two-way signees coming today on the Locked On Pacers podcast. You are Locked On Pacers, your daily Indiana Pacers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome in to another edition of the Locked On Pacers podcast, where we, of course, talk about the Indiana Pacers, as always. My name is Tony East. I cover the team for Forbes and SI, and today we are talking about the new guys once again today, learning more about them from those who know them best. We'll start Talking to Bruce Brown with Ryan Blackburn uh, of Mile High Sports, who, of course, just covered the Nuggets championship run. Knows what there is to know about Bruce Brown playing at his best like he did in Denver last year. Then Alex Wolf from Lockdown Knicks is going to join us to talk Obi Toppin. And we alluded to this. We did a show for Lockdown Knicks talking about Obi trades, potentially with the Pacers. And we did not get this right. I predicted a much higher value would be required. But we dug into Obi's on-court game and Bruce Brown's on-court game. And then at the end, you'll hear just from me on the Pacers' latest transaction, signing their two-way players, Oscar Shibway, who we have talked about on the show, and Isaiah Wong, who not as much, and notably not their third two-way player. So lots to get to on today's show. I apologize if I sound groggy or tired. It's one in the morning. I wanted to wait till the downtown fireworks were done. And there's been a lot of other fireworks from other people since those ended. So that is my sincerest apologies, but let's just get right in to the Bruce Brown talk. He's back, a returning guest. Last time we saw him, did not have champagne in his hair. Now it's been a while, so maybe he still doesn't. But covering the NBA champion Denver Nuggets, it's Ryan Blackburn here to talk about a guy who is no longer on the NBA champion Denver Nuggets, and that's Bruce Brown, who the Pacers stole from the Nuggets by giving him, oh, you know, a modest 300% raise <laughs> from his old salary, well-deserved from his closing games in the finals and proving to be a jack-of-all-trades player for the Denver Nuggets. Ryan, Bruce Brown, to me, I obviously did not watch every Nuggets game like you, but finally kind of put every single skill together last year, right? The Tex MLE guy comes in, and he's taking threes at volume. He's good in transition. He's got enough half-court stuff to have some juice. He can handle the ball. He can also make enough threes to be off the ball. And he's a brilliant point of attack defender. Is that too strong of a sales pitch? What what what, what are you selling me on on Bruce Brown? Well, first of all, how dare you for stealing Brucey B away? <laughs> we, we're, we were so happy that he was like one year back, like coming back for one year at the championship parade. Just never listened to anybody at the championship parade. But that's okay, Uh no, a, a deserved raise. I don't know if he's ultimately going to be worth that number. But, like, I loved what Bruce Brown did for Denver this year, fitting in around what their starters were doing. He is the most malleable player that they could have possibly had. And, and the thing that you love about Bruce Brown is, as everything you said, he has a skill for just about every need and every situation. If you need him to spot up in the corner, you can do it. Just make sure it's the right corner and not the left corner for some reason. <laughs> uh, if you need him to handle a pick and roll, he became the backup point guard for the Nuggets this year when they tried to uh, pigeonhole Bones Highland and Reggie Jackson into that role. Uh, if you need him to be your point of attack defender, he could guard Devin Booker, Kevin Durant, Anthony Edwards, Jimmy Butler, whoever you want him to. He, he can do a lot of great things. Uh, he is a player who... 
does a little bit of everything, and is as competitive as they come. That's a really, really important piece of this. And, and he brought out that competitive, fiery energy that really helped lift up the entire Nuggets rotation. And his aggressiveness, his mentality, I think gave them the edge that they needed to really get through those playoff games in a lot of different ways. So I would describe Bruce Brown as a winner. I would describe him as a jack-of-all-trades player. And I just I would just describe him as a great player you'd want to have on your team. That malleability, I think, is going to be crucial for the Pacers, who sometimes will need him to handle the ball, but a lot of times will just say, hey, go defend the point guard so Tyrese Halberton doesn't have to, or go defend a good wing. And the fact that he's awesome in transition will mesh perfectly with the way the Pacers play. He's been good. This is part speaking to that malleability. Like the Nuggets identities around Jokic and is a lot slower. And the Pacers is like, let's be the fastest team ever. And I think he'll fit well into both. We saw him fit well into the Nuggets last year. I think that speaks well to what he can bring to the Pacers from a zoomed out perspective. This is a very vague question, but it's going to be one that matters a lot for the Pacers in the lead up to the season because they have a lot of twos and threes. If you just had to like, arbitrarily pick what Bruce Brown's best position is because I don't think like he's six, four, but that doesn't describe how he plays. Like he can guard a lot of positions at his height with his defensive abilities. And so with like Matherin and heel and Nemhard and Neesmith in the mix, there's going to be a lot of questions about where Bruce Brown is the best. Where do you feel like he is at his best? You know, he filled so many roles for Denver at, at various points. Like because Denver had so many guys that were kind of in and out of their lineup regular season, working back in Jamal Murray, Michael Porter, there were times where he was the point guard. There were times where he was the small forward and he worked well in both of those lineups and in completely different contexts. I don't think he's a two just from the perspective of uh, you need like you're, you're going to need a tradition, like a traditional, actually creative ball handler, somebody who does a lot off the dribble can pull up from two, can pull up in, in the mid-range a little bit and do some of those things like you'd want an actual shooting guard to be able to do. But he has some of those skills and he's that size. So it's it's one of those things where you're going to have to be creative with him. You're going to have to not be limited with him. Thinking about the Pacers roster, you've got a lot of like-sized players, obviously, kind of in that 6'4 to 6'5 range. I'm sure it's something that you've talked about before. Uh, there's a lot, <laughs> there's a lot to, yeah, I'm sure. Sure. It's been a lot. Uh, Bruce Brown obviously fits into that mold. And so I'm, I'm not surprised that a guy like Chris Duarte was on the way out because it's hard to just fit all of those guys in, in that same sort of position. But if I had to guess he's a two, three who can slide to the backup one, uh, I would describe him as a wing. And usually when I describe wings, I'm calling them uh, a two or a three. And they, they kind of bounce back and forth between the two. He can guard up a little bit, maybe not against the biggest wings like a Luka Doncic or a LeBron James, but he'll battle and he'll do a lot of good things from the three spot. And then as long as you like aren't outsizing him and like he can go and get very quick against anybody. So there's there's just a lot to like about his like, positionless nature, but that's why it's hard to pigeonhole him into just one. I think that's a good thing and an interesting thing for the Pacers to monitor. If I had answered the question as someone who's never covered a team Bruce Brown has been on until uh, four days ago, three days ago, whenever this comes out, I would have said wing because I think he can guard wings. And I usually ascribe to you are, but you guard. Uh, 
and he can guard wings, which is interesting because everybody who doesn't know anything about Bruce Brown goes, why did the Pacers just sign another 6'4 guy? But if you watched him ever or watched the finals where he was guarding Jimmy Butler sometimes or guarding Max Drews or guarding guys who were taller than him, he did not look like he was 6'4. He looked huge. Why do you think that is, especially on the defensive end of the floor? Like, why do you feel like he plays so big? It's not even that he's like bulky. He just looks huge for some reason and is a really good defender at his size. Well, I mean, it's it's easy to boil it down to he's just got that dog in him, but like <laughs> he, he really he really does have that competitive streak, and he's very he's very confident in in his abilities on that end. He never fouls. That's that's something that he tells everybody. He he's he's never fouling. Like I, I just I would never. He he always does foul, but like he never he never fouls in his mind. Um, <laughs> so he'll body up guys. He will get into their airspace. He uses his wingspan really well. So. He, he had a, a couple of really amazing plays guarding Kevin Durant in the semifinals against the Phoenix Suns, where one of them, he blocked a jumper, like a fadeaway jumper of Kevin Durant. Bruce Brown is 6'4". Like, so the fact that he was able to do that and like reach that at the apex, is it shows you the athleticism and the physical tools for a player at that stature. Uh, but the other is like he was able to strip KD clean when he was trying to cross him over and, and just like can poke that ball away off the dribble. And he can do both. Like he's got a very wide range in terms of his wingspan and his actual coverage. He can cover outside of his immediate area, which is something you want from a good defensive player. And he's smart. Uh, that's that's one thing where he'll get into the airspace of guys as long as he's doing the scouting reports, as long as he's really locking in at that particular moment. He can take away certain things from different players and force them to go to their second or third option. So that's that's almost the, the most important part of defense is making the other guys go to stuff that they don't want to go to all the time. Get guys out of their space and their game plan and figure out the rest from there. And the Pacers had roughly zero of those guys last year. Aaron Neesmith was a good defender for them. Andrew Nembhard was as well, but they didn't really have an awesome point of attack guy in the way that they do now, which I think will help them significantly. And I talk about this a lot with the Pacers, but if you want to be a good transition team, you have to get into transition, which requires getting a stop. So adding somebody who can be that defender and should be awesome in transition seems like a very natural fit to me. Last thing, back to the offensive side of the ball. Obviously, I, I, something I talked about that was big for his growth last year was not the three-point percentage, that's whatever. It's that he actually like took them like over three a game. But the efficiency in general settling in two seasons in a row to about 57 percent true shooting where do you view him as a play finisher like do you think he'll just be limited to spot ups is his cutting where he gets a lot of his easy buckets where does he kind of settle in to be this slightly above average efficiency player yeah i i think first and foremost that his efficiency is probably going to take a little bit of a dip like playing next to Nikola Jokic, it's almost a cheat code in a lot of different ways where he was able to riff off of what a lot of Denver did from a, a spacing, a cutting, Jokic, Murray, Porter, kind of three-man dance, Gordon dragging people into the paint, things like that. So so some of the easiest easiest stuff is going to be a little bit off the table, but Tyrese Halliburton does a great job of creating. So there's, there's a lot of things that he will benefit from in different ways. I think he'll settle in as a secondary slasher, somebody who can – get to the cup when you need him to. He's at his best when he's going all the way to the rim, though he does have the floater in his bag and likes to kind of jump stop into that floater with either hand. Uh, I've, I, it wasn't a great shot during the regular season, but it was a good shot during the playoffs. So who knows about that during the regular season for the Pacers. But I, I think if I had to project mostly what he does, 
He'll run a little bit of pick and roll a little bit more than he did with the Nuggets. Uh, he'll probably run a little bit of DHO with some of the guys, maybe a, a, a Miles Turner where you can pick and pop with Miles. Uh, that seems like a pretty interesting fit. And then he'll spot up and, and get out in transition and, and just try to be a good support player for, for Halley. That's probably where I would boil it down to for him. But he's a player who can get his, his shots anywhere on the court except for like pull-up twos. Like that's just not part of his game. Oh, darn. <laughs> yeah. And that's, Dude. <laughs> sorry. Like I know you were really getting excited shot for that. Basketball. Oh, dang. <laughs> but uh, if, if he does try to explore that part of his game as a starter, then I, I, I would I would bet against that working perfectly. But uh, look, he, he's proven that he belongs in every single spot that he's had. Played point guard when he was with Detroit, moved to a kind of a post uh, short roller kind of six four center with Brooklyn. And then with Denver, he was a jack of all trades for every single perimeter spot that they needed. So am I going to bet against Bruce Brown working out in Indiana? No. Of course not. I think I think he's going to be a competitive piece, and you guys have a good one with him. So take care of him. We love him here. Brucey e. B, as Michael Malone said, that'll stick in my head forever and ever. All that and the little guard-guard screens the Pacers love, I think, will make Bruce Brown a very natural fit in this Pacers offense. For more on the NBA champion Denver Nuggets, that's fun. That's a fun one to spit out. It. Follow Ryan Blackburn on Twitter at NBA Blackburn, covering the Nuggets for Mile High Sports. We got more of the Pacers newbies to get to. Let's just get to it. Hey guys, short little break so I can talk to you about FanDuel. Take your first swing at betting MLB on FanDuel and get 10 times your first bet amount in bonus bets up to $200. That's right. Bet 20 bucks, you'll land $200 in bonus bets, win or lose. That's 200 you can spend betting everything from the money line to the over-under to who you think is going to hit the first home run, all on an app that's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Plus, when you win, you can get paid instantly. There's no better place to bet on the MLB than FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. So sign up today and visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn to get up to $200 in bonus bets. at FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. FanDuel, official partner of Major League Baseball. New player number two for the Pacers is one that fans have wanted after seeing him score 66 points against them in two games in April. It's Obi Toppin, and who knows more about Obi Toppin than one of the hosts of Lockdown Knicks, Alex Wolf, here to talk about the game of one of the newest Pacers who will be fitting in on a team that he's a pretty dang good fit with. Alex, big picture, an athletic guy who's good in the open floor like Toppin. Do you, how much better do you feel like he'll fit within what the Pacers do than what the Knicks have been doing the last couple of years? You know, I actually think like with what role he was cast in with the Knicks at times, he was not half bad. Um, like transition, it, you know, if the Pacers love to run in transition, which I yes. get the feeling that Tyrese <laughs> Halliburton does, then they're going to have a great time together. And Halliburton seems to already be salivating at the opportunity to throw Obi some like full court football passes for him to, <laughs> you know, take and throw down. And so he's fantastic at that. He has great instincts as far as when to leak out in transition and get that easy, like cherry picked dunk uh, in transition there. I, if you ask Tom Thibodeau, he'd probably say that Obi did it too much. Uh, but I mean, I don't know. I, I think there's a great value to that. If you can get a free two points here and there, uh, you know, versus not getting a free two points here and there at the expense of maybe not being in perfect position for that rebound or whatever every single time. Um, but that's a coaching philosophy thing. As far as otherwise, like I, I think in the half court, he's going to have a lot more fun in Indy than he did in New York. Uh, 
I think that the Knicks obviously have Julius Randle, who plays more of an ISO style. He's not he's not going out there and you know setting picks and you know working off the short roll and stuff like that. And that's something that the Knicks just never really used. Like they even have, even setting Obi aside, they have like Mitchell Robinson, who's who could be one of the best pick and roll and lob finish bigs in the NBA. And yet I feel like they even utilize him less than they should. They just don't love using pick and roll as a key tenet of their offense. Uh, And that really hurt Obi. I feel like a lot of times they just kind (laughs) of, Gavin and I would joke that they essentially, you know, brought him in to be like Steve Novak, (laughs) which, you know, is a, a, essentially a a spot up three point shooter from the 12, 13 Knicks, you know, like just someone who's just there to just, shoot threes and that's it, which is just kind of a gross misuse of Obi. Who's such a great athlete. Um, he's really good around the rim. He's great at contorting his body. And, you know, when he was given opportunities to, I mean, he sometimes would pull these dunks out where I'd be like, how, how did you just do that? Like he would be driving straight at someone and almost like contort his body under the contesting person and get a dunk out of it. It's just, it was crazy. I mean, he's, he's got a lot of gifts as far as getting to the hoop. He's got a lot of passing gifts out of the short roll. Um, just a, a lot of things that were not utilized well enough by the Knicks, in my opinion, that I think will be utilized a lot more by the Pacers at this point. The rim finishing, very well documented. Obviously, dunks are a part of that, but 72.4% isn't just dunking. Like He is that great finisher, like you said, and I think that will do do him well with this Pacers team. He'll have a lot of opportunities to even just be cutting. Like If you're even a half step open, Tyrese Halliburton will find you and get you the ball. So I think he'll have lots of opportunities to be Obi Toppin around the rim in transition or even in the half court. But in the half court specifically, I do want to talk like or ask about his game big picture. Like you can, it's easy to look at his stats and go, okay, you know, he ups his three point attempt rate this past season, which is good just to get him up, right? Even if the percentage was just fine, just getting him up is good. How do you kind of see him developing as just a half court offensive player outside of his game around the rim, whether that's his shooting? You mentioned the short roll passing. You know, how is it, how much has he put all that t- together and how much more can he expand that now? So I think the three point rate, you know, was high because that's what the Knicks wanted him to do. And yet the percentage, I think, suffered from the fact that so Obi's clearly a flow of the game and confidence player. And I don't think that's that's exclusive to just him. There's plenty of players in the NBA that are like that. But, you know, Emmanuel quickly had to deal with this probably his first two years, I would say as well. And then this year, finally, he like earned the trust of Tibbs and had a consistent like 25 minutes waiting for him every night. Obi was sort of like, and you'll see this if you see his game logs night to night, it was like some nights he could play 20 minutes. Other nights he would play like six and you'd be like, why? And it would just be, you know, he was constantly looking over his shoulder. If he, you know, missed a three, he has sort of like a high arcing three point shot, which is a gift and a curse. It looks gorgeous, but when you miss, you miss bad um, if you're shooting that way. And so he might, you know, I can remember one specific instance. He was having a really good half of basketball and shot a three and it clanged off the side of the backboard from the corner. And Tibbs pulled him like two seconds later. And those are the sort of things he would have to deal with. He could be like, well, I'm having a great half. And yet, if I make one mistake, this guy's going to pull me. And I think that really messed with him a lot. Um, and it messed with a lot of Knicks young players, you know, over various times. It messed with Emmanuel quickly, I think, for a while, too. But he eventually got over it and found – it was just kind of able to find a role because he supplanted Derrick Rose, whereas Obi kind of had this – he was always pushing a boulder up a hill. He was never going to supplant Julius Randle 
Uh, so, you know, it's just like whatever progress he made could be undone in a second because Tibbs was always, you know, chomping at the bit to put Julius back in. Um, as far as how he could develop further, I mean, I think important things will be using him more as a pick and roll guy. Um, you know, that's something that he just didn't get to get to use a lot at, on the Knicks. And yet I still feel confident, at, you know, that's like riding a bike. I don't think that those skills are just going to go away. He still understands how to function in a pick and roll offense, even if he wasn't used in one. Um, and it, the finishing, I think getting him more opportunities to get all the way to the hoop, having miles Turner. I mean, I love Mitchell Robinson. Don't get me wrong, but I think having miles Turner that is used more as a floor spacer, could be very beneficial for Obi as well if the if the Pacers are willing to, you know, sort of move Turner out and you know just have Obi be the guy that is like the guy attacking the hoop for that that given possession. That could be really beneficial to him to have a little more space, only have one defender to beat. Um, you know, not have to worry about a crowd of paint when he gets in there. Uh, it's it, I think there's a lot of possibilities for him. I don't I wouldn't say he's a three level scorer or that I see that in his future. And and you have to also consider the age. He did come in as an old rookie. So he's going to be, I think, 26 this year, um, which means that like by the by the time that this year is up, the Pacers should be looking at this as like, OK, if we're going to pay this guy now, this is basically his prime contract. Like this is the one where we're going to get the best production out of him, whereas most guys sign their second contract around 27 years old. Um so, you know, I don't know that there's like this huge, huge ceiling, but if you look in and watch the tape of some of the games where Obi started, I think there's like a stretch of 15 or so games, the end of last year where Julius Randle got shut down, where they just were like, ah, well, he's kind of injured. Let's shut him down. The season's lost anyway. There's a great stretch of games last year to watch. If you're a Pacers fan, you want to see like what Obi could do in a starting role. And he absolutely crushed it. I mean, he averaged like 25 points per game during that stretch and and was fantastic and and really showed off what his, his total offensive repertoire could be, which I think is basically like a guy that can be a great pick-and-roll, pick-and-pop player, can do some spot-up shooting from the outside, but more importantly, he's a really great finisher on the inside. I think some of those early screens and getting into that game will be I mean, the Pacers love that stuff to start sets. Just like someone, someone screen close to Tyrese Halliburton <laughs> quickly. You know, whoever it is, if that's Bruce Brown or Buddy Hield or Toppin or whoever's in the game, they have a lot of guys who could play. Do it, go do it, and then make it happen from there. And Halliburton's going to make this work. And I think Toppin does have more than just that finishing game. It's going to be figuring out what that is and who's the right guy to to explore that. Or even if it makes sense to have him just. Get 20 minutes pounding the ball with the second unit, whatever that could be. There are a lot of roles that make sense for him on this Pacers team. To me, especially like you mentioned, given his age and contract situation, you have about a year to explore it and figure out how it fits. Um, there is this whole other side of the ball where you have to, you know, stop the other team from scoring. Uh, if you tell me that he's a six foot nine athletic guy, like, yeah, that is a good sales pitch, but I don't necessarily feel like he's that great of a defender, plays with some lack of force to me on that end, despite having traits and size to be a good defender, but obviously you watch more Knicks than me. What do you make of his ability on defense? I think so when the Knicks drafted him, Gavin and I were convinced that he was going to be maybe one of the top five worst defenders in the NBA, which is why, <laughs> which is why we were really not super juiced about the pick when the Knicks got him. Um, but he proved, I think over the course of the three years on the Knicks that he's, like 
an average defender, I think, which is about all you need if you're as talented as he can be on offense. Um, you know, and and if you have a good support system behind him, which the Knicks did a lot of the time. They had Isaiah Hardenstein out there in that second unit with him. So I I don't think there were too many times ever where it was like he was such an active detriment to the Knicks defense that a good team scheme couldn't make up for it. Um so I I I don't know. I think if I was gonna identify the biggest issues uh this was one that was coming out of college that we were worried about but he's got kind of like he's got like slow hips you know what i mean like he he kind of struggles to like stay in front of a guy with really good burst on the perimeter he sometimes overcommits a little bit which i think is you know probably the biggest issue is that he'll he'll be a little late getting to a guy and then overcommit and then that just allows the guy to just blow by um that said, he keeps guys in front of him better than I ever thought he would. So it, that's sort of a backhanded compliment, I guess. But, <laughs> you know, I, I think that he's just he's better than he was advertised coming out of college. And that was all he really needed. He can be a decent team defender. Um, you know, I think he's shown a little bit of a nose for the ball as far as like getting in passing lanes and stuff as well, which I think is a really valuable trait, uh, especially for a guy that loves to get out and transition like him. Like if you can. If you can generate a steal like that, even if you pass it to the point guard quick, you're going to sprint the floor and then potentially get a dunk. You know, it's it's pretty solid uh, as far as how he handles those scenarios as well. So, yeah, I, I would just call him like average. You know, he's going to have lapses there. That's probably the biggest thing. And that's probably the biggest thing that put him in Tibbs's doghouse from time to time was just lapses in judgment. Um, you know, still not fully being all there as far as like having perfect NBA timing, I guess. But again, he's of all lottery picks in the last like 20 years, one of a, a really good Knicks follow uh, uh, on Twitter, a uh, tag put this thing out where it was like least amount of minutes given to lottery picks in the last like 20 years. And it was like Obi Toppin and a bunch of like resounding busts. Like he really, for a guy that showed as much talent as he did, he didn't get as many reps as you would like. And that probably contributed to some of not being totally, not totally figuring out the defensive end of the ball too. So uh, with a better role and and all that, I'm intrigued to see how he's going to do. But on on the whole, I, I think he was an okay defender, and if not spectacular. Even if his minutes load isn't hugely increased, it will definitely be consistent for him every night here in Indiana. If you want more thoughts on the trade, Locked on Knicks in an episode about it after it and alex and i discussed Obi Toppin trades before this uh we were not close on what the value <laughs> ended up being so it may not be the most riveting conversation in retrospect but still lots to check out on lockdown next for you guys we'll have more coming on the pacers new two-way guys in the next segment stay with us thank you as always for making lockdown pacers your first listen today and every single day for your second listen why not hop it over to Lockdown Wolves, where Anthony Edwards just joined the crew as a max extension guy, joining Halliburton and the 260 million club. What are the Timberwolves going to do next as well? They're a fascinating team to me with lots of expensive, but talented, but expensive players. How do they proceed? Let's close out today's show talking about the Pacers' two-way contract players. We don't know all of them yet, but I did find this noteworthy as we saw this earlier this week. Another Pacers free agency edition. Pacers announced uh, on the second or third. I can't remember which day it was. I should know this now. But they have signed two players to two-way contracts. One we knew about, uh, Oscar Shibwe, which was reported not long after the draft from Kentucky. And the other one, very strongly assumed after the Pacers you know, drafted him, Isaiah Wong. 
who it was suspected he'd be on a two-way, but not kind of known. Well, now it is known. They both have signed two-way contracts with the Pacers, Isaiah Wong and Shibwe have. They will be splitting time between the Pacers and the whatever the Mad Ants this year. I presume they'll still be called the Fort Wayne Mad Ants, although they'll be playing their games in Indianapolis. That is neither here nor there. No, what is here nor there is that these players are now on the Pacers. Obviously, they picked Wong in the draft and didn't pick Shibwe. Now, Let's get ahead of some other questions. One, Kendall Brown was not on this. We'll talk about him at the end of this segment. Two, Mojave King, who they picked at 47, not on this. He has rep- is reportedly going to be a draft and stash, not playing in the NBA this season. Pacers will keep his draft rights, even though he will be playing somewhere else. Once that is known, that can be discussed and reported on exactly a little bit more. But what they do have is two very interesting and talented players on two-way deals. And I like this idea of... Now that there's three two-way contracts, having a a very established player uh, in some of those spots, like I I, I kind of like what the Pacers have done for a lot of their years of their two ways, where one is an established, talented player, and the other one is more of a flyer project, right? For their established guys throughout the years, they've had Poitras and Ben Moore and Terry Taylor and Devon Reed, uh, Dwayne Washington, less less established, but he became one very quickly. Same with Terry Taylor. Uh, and then last year, Trevel and Queen, right? Where it's like, these guys clearly talented. Let's throw them on a two-way and see what they can do. And if we need them to play, we need them to play. And then use their other one on a flyer project. Well, now there's three two-ways. So they have two more established types. And that's not to say that these guys are established. Neither of them have played a game in the NBA. So this seems like a stretch. But I just mean, you know what you're getting with Isaiah Wong and Oscar Shibway more than you know what you're getting with you know some these sometimes signed very young players who signed two-way deals. For example, Kendall Brown or Brian Bowen or uh, Edmund Sumner, honestly, at, at an injured point for him. You could go on and on about some of the less proven players who've developed via two-ways. There's no perfect way to sign a two-way. But either way, both of these guys make a ton of sense. Sheboy, fantastic college career, obviously one of the best rebounders in the nation, maybe the best player of the year. Uh, guy when he averaged you know, 17.4 and 15.1 rebounds per game. As a junior, that's insane stats, 16.5 points and 13.7 rebounds as a senior. I mean, he's going to put up ridiculous stats in the G League. Looking forward to seeing what that looks like and if it translates at all to the pros and the minutes he has. If anything, he's going to help Isaiah Jackson get better at rebounding in practice in these summer league practices. So that alone is potentially worth the signing just to help grow your team. I'll be curious to see what he can turn out to be. Good to have another guy like that in-house who is clearly talented and has a specialty kind of thing. Can any of the rest of his game grow. And then Wong, who I far too well from knocking out the tournament, uh, 16.2 points per game this past season on pretty good efficiency, 48% on twos, 38% on a decent volume of threes, 85% from the foul line. Just a good score. You can never have enough of those guys. Pacers like having guards on their two ways. He can kind of play the one and the two. So good emergency depth. And so for that, for him, it's more like, can he become a creator more than just a score? Is he actually a point guard or not? I don't know, but these are things worth exploring and figuring out now that you have three two-way slots. If you have a ton of guard injuries and you need to play Isaiah Wong, that's not the end of the world. You know what kind of play he can give you. If you have a ton of center injuries, Shiway might not give you a ton but rebounding, but rebounding is important, and having a good rebounder is important. So having known talent in those spots who can fill in a pinch seems valuable to me. So good two-way signings here for the Pacers, especially guys they identified via their draft workouts and such. And that brings them to, as it stands, 17 of 18 contract slots filled 
for their team. Obviously, they can still make trades or they could cut someone, but they're getting close to a full roster. It doesn't mean they're done in free agency. That just is the facts of life. Um, as an NBA team, they have their 15 standard deals and two two ways. They have one more two way slot and then they obviously can make other moves and they can sign three players to exhibit 10 deals to get their roster to 21 for training camp. Perhaps that's some summer league standouts. Perhaps that's something else. Who knows? Maybe it's former Mad Ants. We'll see. But that's where they are from a roster perspective. The other thing they didn't do, though, is they only announced two signings to two-way deals, right? Oscar Shibwe and Isaiah Wong. In past seasons, you can only have two two-ways. Now you can have three. Now you can fill a third one. Like I said, Mojave King won't be that because he's a stash. So who could it be? Well, I don't know who it's going to be for sure, but my strongest hunch would be that Kendall Brown is the leader for it, right? Kevin Pritchard at his end of season presser last year said, we still like Kendall Brown, right? Him getting hurt was obviously a bummer uh, for the Pacers. He only played six NBA games in 16 G League games. Um, so Kevin Pritchard said, yeah, we feel good about him. And he also said uh, he had a bad injury, but we really like him. Whether he's a two-way or on the roster, I'm not sure yet. But that sounds like someone the GM is potentially interested in keeping their actions were that they liked him enough to trade into the draft to get him last year, right? There's a lot of evidence, including words and actions, that the Pacers like him. He played well in the G League. He had that really good game against Golden State in the pros. Like, there's a lot of reasons to invest in him. But he did just have an injury that held him out for almost four months, uh, potentially exactly four months, if we're being honest. He had surgery in late February and was cleared for mo all on-court work, he told us earlier this week, three weeks ago, right? So almost four months of sitting out. I get not rushing in anything and maybe just seeing what he can do in summer league. But if he looks anything like what he was in summer league last year or the player he was last year, I think the growth of maturity and the athleticism he has on the wing is totally worth investing in on another two-way deal. So he, this is just a guess. I don't know this. I haven't asked anyone this specifically, but I would imagine he's the leader for the third two-way spot, uh, a significant leader. Um, and it would take a lot to outplay him off of that spot. Like even if he just has a mediocre summer league, he probably gets it. And then he's your project two-way guy, right? Wong and Chibwe are more of the contributor type. And then Brown, you grow. And if he looks great in the G League, you go, hey, let's try this in the pros. You can never have too many athletic wings. So that's my prediction for the two-way deals and what the Pacers end up doing. We'll see as summer league progresses and these guys actually play against NBA talent. Tomorrow's show. Should be fun. Kevin Bowen from 1075. The fans going to join us to talk all things Pacers and free agency and Tyrese Halliburton getting a lot of bones. Should be really fun. I love talking with KB. We'll get into everything you know. And then presuming nothing else happens, we'll do a summer league preview for Friday show. If something does happen, I can move days around and do summer league preview Saturday because it'll play till Saturday. We'll see how this all shakes out. But that's what you can expect the rest of the week here on the Lockdown Pacers podcast. Hope you guys enjoyed today's show and learned something about the new guys or the two-way signees. We will see you soon. <laughs>